0: Hello and welcome to the Q York podcast, brought to you from our local church in the beautiful city of York in the UK. The message you're about to hear is from one of our services, which also feature great live music and relevant movie clips. These can all be found on our blog, so to make sure you're getting the full experience, feel free to head over to qyork.co.uk and select blog to find the relevant content. There's also a huge selection of talks and live music videos on our media page, as well as a donate button if you'd like to show your appreciation and enable us to keep producing free content like this. Finally, to stay up to date on new blogs and events at Q, you can sign up for emails by filling in your name and email address at the bottom of any page on the website. But right now, it's time for the message.
1: Good morning. I've not forgotten about your children. I'm going to do a bit of a longer section after this introduction and we've had another song and I'll refer to that clip in a moment. Fairly devastating, isn't it, if you're that person. Um, The other thing I just wanted to mention is two weeks from today, we have got a visiting speaker coming. He's called Rob Hornby. He was somebody who grew up in the rock as a teenager, has kept in touch with Anth over the years. And behind the scenes, he's been really supportive over the last year and just really encouraging. He knows our heart. He knows our spirit. He's, Followed the journey over the last however many years, and he's just reached out as a friend, um, and it's been really kind and helpful. And he's visited a couple of times, and he's offered over the last few months to do what I can so I've asked him to come and if he'd come in and speak because he's got some things I think to say that will be key to us so if you can possibly be here in two weeks time to give him a great welcome and support um, I'd really appreciate it um, I've thoroughly enjoyed listening over the last two or three weeks it's such a privilege to listen and to just be able to digest the conversation that comes from here that you just get to hear and I don't tend to just listen in the moment I think about it all week the following and thinking, where did that hit me? What did that make me feel? And what did that make me think? What did I find difficult to hear? What's challenged me? Um, And I know I've got some important things to share with you this morning that I hope will do the same thing because it's really precious and that conversation is so precious. And I have some things to talk about today that's to do with our faith. Um, And your faith as it relates to the God story in your life is really important and not to be underestimated or not given time to. Joel referenced last week, he talked about how when we're in a helpless, hopeless state, we can really feel the three Ps, permanent, this is permanent, it's never going to change, pervasive, absolutely everywhere in my life, and pervasive personal, just consuming me as a being. And yet the the talk that that related to and he referred to was shared that when we engage faith, which was defined at the time as that inner conviction that all will be well, we can find a different three Ps. We can find peace presence, that nowness and purpose, great meaning in our lives. And so each week here, we're really seeking to draw out of you that inner conviction that all will be well, and that faith and how it can connect you to who God is and who God isn't. And so often, we say that we will believe all will be well when we see how it is going to be well. When I can see the plan when I understand the steps, when I know the rules, and when I see everyone around me behaving as they should behave, then I will believe that all will be well. And then I will believe that it's working for my good, that I'm connected to divine creation in my life and not merely at the mercy of other people's choices, including my own. But actually, the wonder and mystery of this faith thing, that inner conviction when that's present, is that you can move when you don't have the why, when the plan looks non-existent or at best really weak, when the rules don't work and the people are not behaving as they should, in your opinion. When that inner conviction kicks in then, it says, this is the way, walk in it. And then suddenly we find we can. And so I want to offer you some thoughts around that this morning. And one of the first things I read this week was this, and I thought it was quite brilliant. May we face the future with the steady serenity of a tree, that supreme lover of light always reaching both higher and deeper, rooted in a network of kinship and ringed by a more patient view of time. I love the concept of trees. I always like to see a big tree in a park because I think about the stories that that tree has seen and could tell and the concept of those rings of a tree is one I want you to bear in mind this morning because I've, I've put a slide up there that each phase in a tree represents the whole can I have the next oh that's not that one way back way back way back can we go back to the beginning Ah, oh. oh, yeah, <laughs> you give me spoilers. Um, with the rings of a tree. Each of those represents different seasons, and that's all within there. It's very cumulative. It grows over time. It can't just say, well, I'll take out any more than we can as humans, or well, I'll take away the year that I was eight, and that's just not part of who I am anymore. All the things we go through in life, it's cumulative, and it's needing to be part of the whole as we grow too. And I share this because I want to talk about some proposed stages of faith today, and I've taken a number of concepts from a book by Brian McLaren called Faith Beyond Doubt. And it is a really, really stimulating read. Do I agree with all of it? No, but that's not the point. The point isn't that you agree with all of the things you hear and read. It's the conversation that that sparks in you. Now, as an aside now, I've also sort of referenced some things from Richard Raw's Falling upwards, where he talks about the two stages of life. And there's another one by Hagberg and Kulik's six stage model. And all of them try and do the same thing. What they try and recognize is just like with the rings of a tree, we seem to go through different phases of life where our faith is working in different ways. And there's some really good pictures, but it's important that none of these are like a hierarchy, a linear. We're not achieving greatness in our faith. We're just working out how like in the Of a tree, it becomes our whole. Um, And perhaps if we do that, we can be a lover of light, reaching higher and deeper. So, just to close my introduction, McLaren suggests that each stage is accessed through doubt. Not a philosophy of doubt, which is where we can get stuck if we just everything's to be doubted, but actually as a doorway to the next discovery and we've heard this before in Ant's talk where he talked about joining the dots and the power of doubt and he used a series of clips from the Truman show where Truman lived in a manufactured world but had to start questioning what was being presented to him to find a doorway to a different life and doubt is really good because it introduces questions to our current setup, but it doesn't always feel good. Um, last summer term, last year in 2022, um, I took on too much work at work, far, too much work. Um, and there were really mitigating circumstances at the time. I was short-staffed. There were other things going on. So in my mind, I was being incredibly well-intentioned, incredibly kind and doing great team. Um, then a colleague presented me with her view of my being kind and doing great team. And she did not find it very kindly or teamly, uh, what I was doing. And she saw my intentions quite differently. And these conversations, when they hit you, you're like, oh, wow. I didn't know what I was doing was being interpreted in that way. And in that difficult conversation, I recognize now that she introduced doubt to me doubt about my way of doing things that made sense to me, and I did not like it. Um, But I heard it, and I had to hear it, and I went away and thought about it, and I've had a number of conversations with her since to say, tell me a bit more about when I do that, how do you see that? Because when you start realizing and doubting your ways, conversation is good. And I have changed some things about the way I work as a result of being presented with doubt. But it started with her making me question my approach and my worldview. And it started with me liking it, not one little bit. And so if you don't like what I'm gonna say today, um, in parts, will you, that's good. And will you take, I don't like that bit. And will you, because that might be a key bit of your puzzle, the bits you don't like might be far more important this morning than the bits that you do like. So I played that clip at the start and when we have invested in in what we have built in our lives, encounters can be utter destruction. And that guy had spent two weekends building something made of 12,000 blocks and just like that, it's gone. And we can spend a lifetime, way longer than two weekends, building our structures, and it's not to be underestimated how these moments feel when they come crashing down. And we would never choose them to happen, and yet it might. So what are the things that we build, and why might it sometimes be brilliant to doubt them? And even when sometimes they come crashing down around us a bit, Um, we're going to explore that a little more today. This is a big topic. If I tell you I've chopped out 2,000 words worth of notes, <laughs> you won't be here till 12 o'clock. But I do think some of this is going to really spark some thinking, um, and I hope it does. But there's a lot that I could say about each thing more. But I just want to start here, and then you'll have to go away and give this quite a lot of thought. And if you want to read round about it, please do. So put simply... In the book I reference, Faith Beyond Doubt, McLaren talks about how for him, there's two stages, the first two of his four stages of faith. And he links the first one, stage one, with a submission to authority. And the second one, in stage two, is the more complex rules that we learn to play in life in order to win when it comes to our approach to faith. Now, we can each have an approach to authority and the rules, and I get that that differs for all of us. If you, like me, were taught to respect authority, um, you will have very much been in that stage one. Parents, teachers, your elders, be that relatives or neighbours or people in church, your bosses at work, there was a respect given to the authority figures in your life and you lived there for probably some time. Now, how you were taught to do that may be a very different story and it may or may not have been the best and most healthy thing. For instance, you could have been taught that authority was something to be respected and listened to in a way that was providing a really safe framework for you to operate within the world at a young age. Now, Richard Raw talks about the benefits of such things in his book, Falling Upwards, that I would recommend, how that understanding of there are people to be listened to in your life, is a good thing. Now, it could have been that you were taught to respect authority in a fear-driven and controlling way, and I get that. But I'm gonna have to park how you were taught it for this morning and just recognize that most of us have known that authority at different points in our life needs to be listened to and their word followed without question. Because it gives us, in different situations, our rights and our wrongs, the good and the bads, the us and the them. And it tells me what to think and what to do, and then I can think and I can do that. Now, we all retain, just like that tree and the ring of the tree, we all retain aspects of stage one in our lives because that's why the world works, so just as a simple example, we drive in this country on the left-hand side of the road, we all follow that rule somewhere along the line, we learned that was the authority, and if we didn't follow that rule, we'd have a lot more problems. We might also, a vast majority of us, listen to our teachers in school, our boss at work, we might take the task that we are instructed to do, meet the deadline we are given because we either see the need to or because we don't want to be in trouble. So stage one exists, Now, how we approach that, obviously, in the context of our faith would be the stage one authorities who represent God in your life and do this, don't do this. And we'll come on to some of that in a bit. And actually, it's a stage in life of listening to authority that we can see the value and want to keep. So we may want our young children and grandchildren to go to bed when we decide so they get the sleep they need, and so do we. And we may want people to listen to our instruction if we're the leader because we can see something they don't see from our position that is required for this moment. So authority has its place and so does listening to it. But there'll be more on that. Now, sometimes we then, at different points in life, can hit doubt in terms of the instructions that we are being given from these authority figures. And we know that following them will help us be right and good and in. But actually, some of it doesn't seem that simple to follow anymore because we have questions. Now, if you've been through this process of of how you relate to church or to God or whatever, you will recognise some of what I'm saying. But I I don't have time this morning to give you a million examples. So I'm just going to trust that as I'm talking, you're thinking of examples where you just went with someone has said this, God has said this, I will do it. And that was a very acceptable approach in your life um, and what you did. Now, when the complexity starts to be introduced, that's when we can find ourselves thinking a bit more for ourselves, and while still very much attached to figures who might help us to develop what is called pragmatism and problem solving. Now, in this stage of life, and a lot of churches go here, are here, become here, I can recognize it in workplaces and all other places as well, it's basically, I can be effective in how I do this thing called life, because I know how to play the rules to win. So this is a preferred space for many as it has some security to it and some some steps. So for example, here are five ways you can be good at X. Here are five ways to tackle this in your life. Here are five approaches that will do you good. Here is how to answer this situation in your life in five steps. Now, I'm not saying like with the tree, none of this is right or wrong. It's just part of how we learn. If you think about a child, they learn to follow instructions and then they start going, but why? Why do I have to follow that instruction? And then you have to start giving them the rules around which that instruction is based and why it's a good idea. It's actually very developmental and important. So this isn't wrong. I'm just trying to show you the picture of how we can grow. Now, many workplaces, communities, including churches, schools and teams have recognized that particularly generationally in the the times we're in, and don't ask me when this started, but that's another conversation. People don't automatically do what authority says anymore. They really don't. Um, Without a lot of... I was thinking about it, well, when do they? And I suppose often it comes with a lot of fear or life and death necessity. I was thinking about the armed forces. You kind of got to follow what you're told exactly there and they still really hold that sense of authority. But if you try in in this more modern approach generationally, if you try and basically say, do it because I said so, um, you try that in a workplace, it's just not going to happen. We are not in that culture And so what happens is a lot of places have to then adopt this pragmatic problem solving because it really helps people. It helps you address why. It helps get people on board. It helps get what's often called as buy-in from your team. It's because you're like, I know you're not just going to do it because I said so, but let me give you all this, all the rules of how we're going to play this and how it's going to help us all win. And then most people go, yes, I see that. Okay, I will do that. Now, you can build great towers here very creatively, and you can live in them a lot Um, and it's really important stage as I said so teaching your children grandchildren employees congregations to problem solve is important and helpful and pragmatic approaches can be really effective so when we say we'll deal with this very sensibly we'll deal with this very realistically in a way that's very practical without getting too bogged down with the theory let's just be pragmatic and come up with the best plan that there is now that all sounds fine until it's not fine (laughs) because this is what can happen what happens when you hit something in your life that you can't solve the problem in five easy steps and you don't know the rules of how to win and what happens when being sensible is foolish And practical realism turns a blind eye to theoretical considerations that have great weight and should not just be ruled out. And there's a reason pragmatic can become an ism, can become pragmatism. And we've learned a lot here about isms and how dangerous they are. So if your only approach to life is to be pragmatic, um, you have to be careful. And I say that as someone I know, I... Lean here to great pragmatism. I know in some ways it's a strength in many areas of my life, but I also know it can be a weakness. And what happens when you start to think that you are becoming highly effective at all the five point plans you have got in your life, but it all feels a bit pointless? You're winning at a game that you're not sure you even want to be playing. What is it all for? Now, that may be you now, or it may have been you, or may become come true of you, but there becomes this disconnect between what you are able to produce and build in your life and you. It's like, I know I can do all these things. Look how pretty they all are, and look how much I can make them work. But it just isn't connecting to, to you. Now, it reminds me of this that I think we've heard here before. People may spend their whole lives climbing the ladder of success, only to find once they reach the top that the ladder is leaning against the wrong wall. And this is when more doubt hits. Now, when you hit this point, that's often when you are in stage three. And for those of you who, I think most of you in here who've been in queue, if you don't see a parallel to where we've come to, I'm happy to sort of share more about that and how it's a picture of, you know... We had to get into the next bit when the doubt hits and says, what's this all for, really? What's this all about? Now the Meet the Parents clip, it, just made me, it really made me laugh when I happened to see it the other day. But what happens when the rules become quite meaningless and what you're doing is like, I get, I get that this is what you do at an airport, but why are we doing that now when no one's here? It's a rule that doesn't work in this context. And the situations and rules become so meaningless sometimes and that the rule is still upheld and you're like, why? Um, Now, the situation in the film escalates because... Greg finds himself thrown off the plane, ultimately, because he boils over, because one of the, what happened to him two days earlier is the airline lost his bag, and in the losing of his bag, he's just had the most horrendous weekend meeting his girlfriend's parents for the first time, and now when he gets back on the plane, they want him to hand over his bag, and he's like, I am not giving you my bag this all started because I gave you my bag. But because then he won't follow the rules of the airline, he gets kicked off the plane. Um, And it leads to this series of events when you start to doubt and question the rules for very good reason. You can be kicked off and excommunicated. That's what can actually happen to you in these situations. Now, when doubt starts here, there starts to be really big consequences sometimes for how you belong and fit in a group. Now, A likely consequence is that because we start to feel the discomfort that we're no longer playing the same rules of the group, that the rules that win, and it's like, I'm the one being kicked off the plane here. Everybody else has still got their seat on the plane. I'm I'm the one. Um, Often what we do at first is we really dig in to the things that we've got that make our lives work. We don't want to lose them. Now, McLaren in the book told this story that I thought summed this up really helpfully for me. And he said that he uh, came across somebody who had really helped a young man at university who told him later that he'd read his books but had decided to return to his more traditional beliefs when his daughter was sadly diagnosed with cancer. And what he said was this, right now, all I'm concerned about is her being healed. I feel like my daughter's life depends on my prayers and my prayers depend on my faith and my faith depends on everything being super clear and super literal. So I stopped reading people like you who make me think and question and I just focus on books that help me claim a miraculous healing for my daughter. Now, there's no malice in that at all, but great pragmatism where he's weighed it up and he thinks, that for me feels safer than what you're telling me. And I get that. And I have huge compassion for it. And I know I've been that. And I know I probably still am that in areas of my life. Um, because this is the, the thing, another thing I read this week. It is difficult to get a man to understand something when his salary depends on him not understanding it. And so here's one of my big questions today. And if you, if you think of anything else this week, well, there's one thing I want you to think of this week. It's this. Which beliefs do you depend on believing? We all have beliefs in our life that we have to see as true. Um, They will be the ones where you're avoiding perplexity. The stage three bit where it just gets confusing, puzzling, completely baffling, conflicted, but very necessary. So which beliefs do you depend on believing? Could go away and think about that for a while, couldn't we? Hitting perplexity head-on can be a really critical and is a really critical stage of life to not be avoided. Um, Now, the language used by those who tend to be in doubt here for centuries, it turns out, is synonymous with with descent. D-E-S-C-E-N-T. That kind of descent, opposite to ascent. Falling, like that tower made of Jenga pieces at the start, but bigger. Losing all that time. Losing all that time I've spent finding ways to be effective in my life, losing your identity, losing God and your concept of God. Um, No wonder we avoid it because that's really hard. But we get to a point where we cannot simply trust what we are told and what we've been told and what we know or the playbook we've been given. When we knew that, we were rising and we were rising so much and we were performing so well and mastering. But now it feels like we're falling, falling into so much and we're less sure of ourselves than others. But if we keep walking in this space, there is absolute gold here. There really is. And before I share some of what that gold I think is, I'll just mention that there are things to be careful of in particular when we're perplexed in groups, one in particular is what happens to authority in our lives well, you are more likely to keep a group together in stage 1 tell us what is right and wrong tell us me what is good tell me what keeps me in and in stage 2 give me the five steps i need to be to be i need to be really effective and successful at this it is definable and we like definable But once you hit stage three, we're deconstructing, we're asking questions, and any new construct is not yet to be trusted. So you imagine asking that man whose tower has just collapsed to immediately start rebuilding a new one. He's not ready. He's on clear-up, he's on the fallout, he's nursing his wounds. He's not ready to suddenly go, yeah, just build it again. He's not ready. So you escalate that to not just two weekends, but when you might have spent two decades building something. You're not ready for someone to say, and it's this. Um, An authority can represent another construct to be treated with suspicion. Because the leaders you trusted to give you words of inspired instruction and ways through are now voices you treat with suspicion and even discard. (sighs) That's hard. And I wrote a lot more here and then I found myself going down a rabbit trail, but I, I, I ended up just saying two things, really, because there's really two sides to this coin that I can recognise. The first is I know I've needed to leave Father's house in so many areas of my life, and I still do. There's some areas where I'm attached to what was Father, what was God to me, um, what was my former attachments, and I've got to leave some stuff still. But I've also been left and treated with suspicion by those who loved my voice in their life, It's really tough space to navigate. Really tough, and God help us with that space and how you have both parties made whole, because it's incredibly easy. We've all heard the expression "broken home," and we all know what that means. This is broken home territory. It really is, because it's the leaving of one another. and it, whew, it's, t- it's tough. So if I have one prayer today, and, if, if, you know, join me if you can say yes to this, is that wholeness and recovery would be a very known expression in every heart that has been affected by such breakdowns. Now, a second really interesting thing that I think is, is interesting for a group is um this really helped me in the perplexing if you are in perplexity way like i don't know the five rules to play here to help this win i don't know what they are i'm just confused and baffled and not sure we can really struggle with purpose with the why and those feeling perplexed i love this can feel allergic to the level of confidence implicit in any call to action. And I thought, that is me. (laughs) Because we're in a stage of questioning, critique and deconstruction, we're not in a stage of goal setting and action because we have found that our action and goal setting, we were really brilliant at it, but it didn't work. And now we want a different approach because we've learned some stuff. And the focus tends to be on conversation and analysis rather than mobilization and mission and um, mission statements and strategic plans evoke memories of conquest. That's stage two, here's how to win, and stage one, tribalism, this is us in, this is them out, let's get them in, this is how we're gonna get them in. And you feel it, and this really helped me because I have an aversion, I'll be honest, currently, to seemingly straightforward ideas of we could do this. It really reminds me of stage one and two when it is not presented with a sense of perplexity. Because I am wrestling with the perplexity of church currently as it is my daily, lived, hour-by-hour experience. I can't just go, we could do this. I just can't do it because it's more complex and perplexing than that. Now, you may not be. And that's why it may sometimes be frustrating for those of you who see things as simple or solvable. But not perplexing, perplexing because for you it's easy. What's the big deal? Now, I know we could settle in the simple and find some plays we could do to seemingly win. I do know that. I'm very good at pragmatism, I promise. You ask anyone who works with me how pragmatic I am. This is called a lateral transfer when we say, these are the rules I was playing to win here. Oh, these aren't working anymore. Mm, Don't really want to make it too perplexing though, so let's just transfer this set of rules to this set of rules here and we'll play these to win now. We've not actually moved on our faith. We've just transferred the rules we play by to win. But facing perplexity for me is so worth it for reasons you're gonna hear about shortly as I close. Um, Now I want to pause and play you a cartoon. I make no apology. These cartoons are sometimes some of the best things you can watch um, because the the lyrics and the content and some of this stuff is incredible. Um, But I've been singing this song all week And I want to play you the cartoon version of the song called How Far I'll Go from Moana, because it really captures the spirit of what I'm trying to bring you this morning, because there is a line to cross beyond the current horizon of all of our lives. So let's just have a little watch of this. Beyond what we know and our known beliefs and our known solutions is a horizon of faith. And this is what... um, Something I read that, again, I thought was brilliant. There's a slide for this one. Faith is like looking at the sky through a clear or open window with an openness to accepting it as it is. Blue or grey, light or dark, starry or sunny, rainy or fair. But beliefs are like blue paint that people decide to apply to the window glass to be sure it will always be the colour they wish it to be. Doubt is like scraping of the paint from the glass. Um, saying I don't know, I'm not sure, can be the greatest position of strength in this stage of our faith. We get honest, we develop sensitivity, we can face ourselves more than ever. And that version that plays to win, we can start to doubt and ask questions and find insight. And this all happens when life gets more perplexing in the ocean beyond the shores of what we've always known. And this for me is now the gold. Now earlier we talked about dissent, D-E-S-C-E-N-T, but it's also about dissent, D-I-S-S-E-N-T, the holding or expression of opinions at variance with those commonly or officially held. We challenge our commonly held narratives and the commonly held narrative. And we find the courage to doubt, to question, to interrogate, and we find light in the darkness of things we accepted before without question and in the crises that forced us into new thinking if we keep walking. It's difficult, yes it is, because it feels like an ending, because it is, and it's unsettling because it is. And we can feel so disloyal But allowing the doorway of doubt is actually a loyalty and faithfulness to the pursuit of a greater truth. And when we know the truth, according to Jesus, it's going to set us free. That doesn't mean it's fun. So your honest doubts may ultimately be your greatest blessing So these are the slides that sort of flashed up earlier. Um, But again, I read this and I I found some of it challenging, actually. But I thought, you know what? That's why it's good for me then. I've got to look at the bits I find challenging and think why. Blessed are the curious for their curiosity honors reality. Blessed are the uncertain and those with second thoughts for their minds are still open. Blessed are the wanderers for they shall find what is wonderful Blessed are those who question their answers, for their horizons will expand forever. Blessed are those who often feel foolish, for they are wiser than those who always think themselves wise. Blessed are those who are scolded, suspected, and labelled as heretics by the gatekeepers, for the prophets and mystics were treated in the same way by the gatekeepers of their day. Blessed are those who know their unknowing, for they shall have the last laugh. Blessed are the perplexed, for they have reached the frontiers of contemplation. Blessed are those who become cynical about their cynicism and suspicious of their suspicions, for they will enter the second innocence. Blessed are the doubters, for they shall see false gods. Blessed are the lovers, for they shall see God everywhere. Now, some of you need to hear that this morning to know actually there is blessing in the season you find yourself in. And I would encourage you not to go back to, not to make your lateral transfer and just go back to something that you can solve. Stay in this bit. But some of you may not feel perplexed this morning. And that may be because you have hit stage four harmony, where according to McLaren, all that remains is your faith expressing itself in love, an integrated life, reconciled. And perhaps, and I hope so, or it may be that you feel harmony because you like the rules you found that you can play to win and you play them and they're still working for you and that can feel so harmonious. And I don't want to pull the rug or the rung, if we're thinking of ladders, from under you, but I confess to wanting to shake that ladder a lot. Um... I do. I want to shake that ladder a lot because please will you, with me, be open to some more doubt. Because if doubt is the doorway and we're not currently got anything doubtful about any of our approaches to life, we're not going to find any new doors. And some of your life is effective, but the ladder is indeed leaning against a wall that you may not be glad you've climbed, that may be doing harm to you or others, and that's betraying some things you would, if integrated, stand for So where do you need to doubt the voices in your life and your pragmatic problem-solving that represent what holds authority in your life, your God? And shake things up a little to get into some perplexity and then later into some integrated harmony in your life. Now to close, in the film Wild, we see Reese Witherspoon in the role of Cheryl. Now, her marriage has not worked out. Her mum has died and hope has gone. She try, and so she tries to find a solution and she opts for reckless and quite destructive behaviour. But then one day she makes a rash decision. She's like, I'm not playing to win here. I'm going to put myself into perplexity. Um, although I'm not sure it happens that easily. I think it's often forced on us. But with absolutely no experience, driven only by sheer determination, Cheryl hikes more than 1,000 miles of the Pacific Crest Trail alone. Wild powerfully captures the terrors and pleasures of one young woman forging ahead against all odds on a journey that maddens, strengthens, and ultimately heals her. And I read this idea this week that we needed to we need to rewild God, let our mind go wild around the concepts we hold, abandoning some beliefs, leaving the fortress, and hiking instead on a trail. And after a thousand miles, this is her conclusion. My life, like all lives, mysterious, irrevocable, and sacred, so very close, so very present, so very belonging to me. How wild it was to let it be. Take a look at this.
0: Thanks for listening to another Q York podcast. Now, if you've enjoyed what you've heard today, then we would love to hear from you. Feel free to drop us an email to info at qyork.co.uk and let us know who you are and where you're listening from. Don't forget there are blogs and all sorts of media to be enjoyed at qyork.co.uk, which you're welcome to browse at your leisure. Until next time, enjoy the quest.